Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and today Rachel and I will be joined by a special guest. We're going to be joined by Paula Taylor, who is from the Sulphur Christian Community Coalition in Sulphur, Louisiana. Paula and her organization do a lot of work seeking to alleviate poverty and working with people in need in their community and as a result of that ministry, they have sort of come to do a lot of disaster relief work and, and crisis management in Sulphur. Sulphur was hit by Hurricane Laura on August 27th, and then just this weekend, Laura and many others in their community had to evacuate their, their homes and their city because of Hurricane Delta. And so this is a very timely conversation for them and for others in the area as Paula joins us to talk about disaster relief work and crisis management. And she, sh- she shares some of her experiences in, in those areas. And as we listen to, to her and, and learn from her, we wanted to, to have a conversation at one level about sort of how we support and, and encourage and can help those who are struggling through through big cataclysmic events like hurricanes and as, as people recover from crisis in those ways. But we also want to use that conversation to think about how we can support and encourage those in our own lives who are experiencing crisis, who are grieving, who may need support and encouragement. And so we hope that you will, will be blessed by this conversation that it will give some perspective on dealing with, with disasters and, and kind of living in, in the midst of, of crisis and unknowns. And we, we hope that you'll also find ways to, to relate this to, to your own life and to your own situation, not only in, in ways that we can help support those who are going through difficult times like hurricane relief, but also in how we can encourage and support those around us. So with that said, here is Rachel to introduce us a little more to our guest and begin our conversation today. Well, good morning, Paula. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad to to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? We're good. I, I feel the weight with you of hearing about Hurricane Delta coming in tonight, and um, it's just unimaginable to think about another hurricane after what you went through with Hurricane Laura last month. So how are you guys holding up? We're okay. We're, um, we've evacuated, so we're going to get a little bit of rest and try not to think about it too much and just face it Monday when we get back. Okay. Well, it sounds like you have a positive attitude. You've had some time to, <laughs> to hopefully get there. I know it has been quite the journey and has been a very difficult last month, but you are just such a rock and such a faithful woman of Jesus, and that's part of why I wanted our church and temple to know about you. So to give people a little bit of context, I met Paula through one of my best friends at Baylor University. We were roommates and very soon met uh, my friend's mom, who is Paula, and just about their whole clan, like the village, the community. And and my friend introduced me to a whole group of people that 
are serving their community and just living the way of Jesus right there um, in Sulphur, Louisiana. And Paula started an organization while I, um, it was, I, I feel like I was sort of part of that process and got to see it being born. So Paula, would you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you serve and what's the name of your organization and what does it do? Well, I am Paula and yes, uh, my daughter's time at Baylor did make a huge impact on all of our lives, um, our whole town. So um, while she was there, she met, um, she served at Mission Waco with um, Janet and Jimmy Dorrell. And um, through that process, we ended up um, starting the Sulphur Christian Community Coalition, SC3, which is very much modeled after the empowerment model at Mission Waco. And so uh, we serve in Sulphur, Louisiana, and we are very multifaceted. So when our community walks in the doors, it just depends on what their needs are. And we just kind of start from there. So it, you know, they may come in needing food stamps, but we'll help you get signed up with food stamps. But immediately following, we want to know how can we help you get off of food stamps, you know, so we move from everything from recovery to housing to um, employment, education, the whole gamut. Um, we go very deep in our discipleship with them. And um, our goal is to break the multi-generational cycle of poverty rather than just putting band-aids on things. Mm, that's great. So it's a holistic care model. And where exactly is Sulphur, Louisiana? We're in the southwest corner, um, just west of Lake Charles. Okay, so when Hurricane Laura came, you guys were right in the eye of the storm, is that correct? We were, exactly. <laughs> so could you paint the picture of the impact of Hurricane Laura on your community? What sort of damage were you facing? We, um, the day that, the morning that we returned, just personally, um, you know, we all evacuated that night and came back and uh, couldn't get down our road. So we had to park the car and just with the children and grandchildren had to walk through the debris mm. uh, over and under trees. Wow. Um, finally, made, just it was just unrecognizable. And mm -hmm. um, the hardest part, I think, was that it wasn't just our homes. It was our churches, our mm. businesses. It was everything. So there were, there were literally like no safe places left to go. Wow. And so, um, you know, you, you get through the, your personal side of things and then you go look at your organization and there wasn't a, a, a there wasn't a place in our organization mm. that wasn't impacted. Um, wow. and like I said, my church was impacted, just everything yeah. and everyone, mm. um, so it was like every family is dealing with damage to their own homes, but then also businesses, churches, everywhere. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So how did you feel and how did you respond just seeing all that devastation? Well, I think um, we just got to work. That's just, <laughs> we just got to work. So. Um, I know your family, and that is something that I admire so much about y'all, is that no matter the situation, you are able to pull together and to make things happen. And I feel like that is part of the strength of your community and your family network, because um, I've seen you guys do some really powerful projects, even from the start of SC3 
to this sort of new branch and new phase right now, which is hurricane relief. Yes. <laughs> so when you started SC3, did you ever have a thought that you would do something like disaster relief? Uh, not my wildest dreams, but <laughs> um, I think what I've learned is I just say yes. And then God makes a way and he puts the people in place and it's, it's been miraculous watching it the whole way. Um, he's been so faithful. It's like, mm -hmm. I was even talking with somebody yesterday. Just, I almost, it almost gets comical at a point that, um, I'm so unqualified <laughs> for what I do. Um, and, <laughs> but it just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. So we just, we trust him. Yeah. Do you feel like God is equipping you as it goes? Uh, yes. And it's not always ahead of time. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the moment. In the moment. He provides what we need. Um, yeah. I do know that um, I believe, especially in crisis moments, um, I can very much feel like when I'm being prayed for. Mm. And so I think especially in the crisis moments, um, that has carried me um, yeah. when I couldn't probably have gone on my own. So. so how did you manage ministering to a community in crisis when you yourself are actually in crisis as well? And it, well, again, I'll say it's by the grace of God, <laughs> but um, I believe when I, would have opportunities to visit with people like you or Janet and Jimmy, or mm -hmm. um, there was a group from attack poverty that jumped right in. It was with those people that I was able to let my guard down and mm. do a little bit of grieving and processing. I can remember yeah. uh, it was, it was Caleb was interviewing me. So I only had a few wow. meltdowns, but it was always <laughs> with people um, from the outside mm. so being able to be vulnerable with you guys mm -hmm. allow me to be strong here. Wow. So you had to have a wider network than just your people right there. Yes, sort because of every, everybody here is going through the same thing. So mm -hmm. you could be strong for them because you had other safe people with which yes. you could yes. kind of let it go. <laughs> yes. Did you have any moments where you just had to kind of step out of the situation and go take a deep breath or cry or just pray on your own to sort of collect yourself to go back and minister some more? Um, in the beginning, a few times, like when we would first, when we first saw the, um, Imagination Studio, because we had just spent, you know, six months really pouring in there and we had just gotten, uh, self-sufficient. We were employing the women in our programs and we walked in, it was just destroyed. And like, I, I did just have to yeah. go find a quiet spot, but it's like, after that, you don't have time. And so mm. you just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down. And then people like you would call and I'm sorry, but <laughs> you know, that's where everything would just kind of come up. But, um, no, that, and that's part of the problem in crisis is that's what everybody's doing. And I can mm -hmm. see that long-term we're going to have some mental issues, some mm -hmm. emotional issues to deal with because we have pushed it down. And the, the recovery process goes so quickly hmm. that you don't even have time to process the loss 
um, when the recovery starts to happen. And so like it all becomes a big blur. And when you stop and you think about it, it just, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Do you feel like you're going to need like a, a large scale sort of counseling or, or grief groups or something like that for your community? I 100% um, know that that's coming because I feel it in myself and I'm a, I, I at least have the hope, you know, that, that others don't have. So um, people are looking and searching and open right now. And I think the church has a, a great opportunity right now um, and probably after every crisis to mm. come in and, um, and minister. So the, the answer is 100%. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paula, I certainly, uh, w- when you said that about kind of it, everything just kind of being a blur, um, you know, we, uh, our family, we lived in Portland, Texas when Hurricane Harvey hit. And so we were right, we were kind of right off of where the hardest hit area was, but, but our community kind of became ground zero for a lot of disaster relief and, and crisis work that happened there. And our church, uh, kind of like you said, we just, we just started saying yes to stuff. And without really knowing it, um, our, our church basically became a, a camp for this disaster relief organization to come in and, and it just overtook everything we were doing for several months after that. And, and I remember at one point, I just kind of looked up and realized I had basically spent all day at our church building for 16 straight days. And I was like, I need to have a day where I don't come up here and, and need to take a break and yeah. <laughs> see my family and, and do some stuff, do some, you know, just personal um, self-care. And so I, I certainly can, can relate to that. And, and I think also, because one of the things we want to kind of move this towards, and, and one of the things that we've sort of had in mind, not that we need to go this direction yet, but is but I want people to kind of have this in mind is how much of this is relatable to sort of things that we go through over the course of life. Right. And I think of that with grief and loss that, that there's that immediate, there's that immediate time when everything kind of seems like a blur. And, and also even when everyone's kind of checking in with you, right. But then that time ends and it's like, Oh, I still need support. I still need encouragement, but kind of the immediacy of it is, is over. And, and so I think it's interesting how there, there's these large scale kind of events that happen that really do speak to kind of things that many of us experience over the course of life. And I think that helps to make it relatable that, yeah, a lot of our people aren't going to live through a hurricane, but they're going to live through loss. They're going to live through um, grief. They're going to live through crisis that, that comes up. And so I think in a lot of ways, how we handle those things is sort of is, is very applicable kind of across whatever the the crisis is. That was one of the hard things uh, um, was we didn't get, when this hurricane hit, we didn't get the water surge that they were expecting. And it was like immediately after that, it kind of got written off and people moved on to the next um, thing. So it was a hot story. And then another hurricane hit over in Alabama. And it's like, all the people that were here kind of left and we're like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. And um, so I, I exactly can see what you're talking about. Um, that I think one of the things is like, you just don't want to be forgotten. You know, I mean, I personally was 30 days without electricity in wow. 2020. <laughs> and, you know, every evening I would just think, does, does anybody even know like mm-hmm. what's going on? So just, 
that's huge is just not to be forgotten. So do you think that uh, there are practical things that maybe churches could do to continue to ministering to people in crisis after disaster long term? Like what might that look like? Is it sending cards? Is it sending teams to still help? What could churches do long term after a disaster? Well, you know, there's a gamut of things because it doesn't have to be those huge projects. You know, mm-hmm. it, it can be as much as some of the, the most important things for me personally through this were like, um, I remember one lady driving up from Lafayette and um, she handed me, uh, this sounds silly, but she handed me um, black olives and iced tea. And I, was, I looked in that bag and I was like, I don't even know you. <laughs> she knew because she researched a little bit and she found out and it'd been a long time since I had iced tea and it was a gold peak, the kind that I, wow. like she spent time and she, mm. she spent enough time to research what was special for me and like mm-hmm. made it personal. So it's, wow. it's not always the big things. It's, um, it's the little things that you can do as well, you know, um, just check like some of the relationships we made through with, that were in the beginning of this are sending me texts right now. I see you're getting mm-hmm. hit again. I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, we, we love the big things, the, the grandiose things, but a lot of times it's just down to relationships, you know, yeah. spend a little time. Mm. Yeah. That's I think, good. I think that's what our people, I think that's what the community appreciated about the way we did things. So there were a lot of long lines that you could go in and get supplies handed to you and just drive through. But ours is always different because we're an empowerment organization by nature that we not, we're going to hand you something, but you need to take some and go get it to your neighbor as well. So like Mm -hmm. handing that that power over to them to go make a difference, you know, um, to stop and say, Hey, is there anything we can pray for you about? I mean, people just break down because nobody mm-hmm. had, had like stopped the chaos and just loved them for a moment. Mm. Wow. Do you have any personal stories of a moment where you reached out to someone in the midst of their grief and you feel like it might've changed that moment for them? This is a sad state, but so yes. Okay. I'll say this one. Uh, because I'm in leadership, um, I don't always get those personal things, but I right. get to watch my people do it. Yeah. But as an organization, we decided that what we would do was make sure that our coalition leadership was cared for because um, unlike Harvey, this one was different. Churches responded differently in this crisis. Mm-hmm. They opened up their facilities and they did it. I mean, they they knocked it out of the park this time. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, you know, we're watching them and we don't, we want to back off and let the churches do it any opportunity we get. And so um, we were watching the pastors and the leaders wear themselves out. And so we prepared through um, our relationship with the tax <laughs> poverty um, that you helped us form. They came in and provided um, dinner and worship music and, oh. Um, just a time for leadership to fellowship. And I think for, for me, that's probably one of the moments just to see them be able to come in and relax and get replenished. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's another aspect of it that surprisingly I hadn't really thought of that much is the fact that the people who are in leadership and the ones going out and doing the cleanup and ministering to the community is that they need maybe that time to stop and rest and and reflect together. Um, And so maybe that's an interesting way for churches even to minister to communities in crisis is coming into like where you guys are and doing like a retreat sort of thing or like a, a prayer service or. I can tell you, I think it was like week three before we ever heard worship music. Oh my gosh. That's a, don't forget our churches are destroyed or, you yeah. know, everything. So um, when that worship music was, it was a feeding group that came in and put up speakers mm. and played it. And I was like, Oh, God, I missed that sound, you know, Um, there's no communication. There was no power. There was, you know, so yeah, that was a long three weeks and it was very refreshing. Wow. That is such a creative idea, I think. Um, and something that (laughs) could mean so much and be uplifting. Like if I think about me personally, I cannot go three weeks without, (laughs) without, worship music or music like of any form so I probably would have been making my own filling up the quietness (laughs) but I think you said you don't have time you know like you almost don't have time to think you're just like in survival mode yeah how long do you think the survival mode frame of mind lasted after Laura or are you still in that right now no we're not in it right now probably fixing to hit it again but um Oh, it's so hard because we're still living it to, to analyze it. But I think it was the first week for sure. Um, the first three days for <laughs> sure. Um, maybe even up to two weeks yeah. was just slammed. Just, um, But eventually it did start to take a shift where we actually had time to plan just a bit. Mm. That just response after response after response. But at some point I can remember thinking, let's try to get ahead. People would call and they'd say, what would you, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And we would say water and then water would come two weeks later. And by that time that need had shifted. Right. And so at some point I can remember thinking we have got to get ahead of what, what are the next needs? And mm-hmm. I think that was about week two when it shifted from survival to be able to make plans to some extent. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's such a great point. I think about the, the delay that is experienced there. Cause that's another thing that, that, that we experienced again in, in Portland, because at the time I was at a church of Christ. And so we had mostly church of Christ groups from across the country that would send us stuff. And like you said, it would always get there. If they sent supplies, it would get there, you know, a week or so later than we actually needed it. So we, we had so many bottles of water and diapers that we literally did not know what to do with because they came after a time when there was the need for that, really. And, and so then it, it almost became a, a second, it was like a second job that we had to undertake of just in doing inventory and organization of all the stuff that came in. And, and it almost became more of a burden than it was a help because, you know, and, and you it's good intention and people are wanting to help, but, but we found that like, it was surprising to people to hear, Oh yeah, well, if everyone's sending you bottles of water at the same time and it's kind of on delay, then yeah, maybe that's not actually doing the help that we think it's doing. 
Um, and so we found that at least in, in our situation, manpower and financial resources were the most beneficial in that moment. Uh, because we were in a place where we could go buy the things we needed, you know, that the whole area wasn't destroyed to the extent that, you know, you couldn't get supplies and stuff. So we could take the money and go get exactly what was needed in that moment. And we needed that and manpower. Yes. Um, and so I'm wondering, have, have you kind of experienced, it sounds like you kind of have experienced some of that. Um, and, and I'm wondering then, are there kind of other things that you have experienced that would be maybe other aspects of, of disaster relief or crisis management that, that people outside of it maybe just uh, might misunderstand or not really grasp if, if you haven't kind of lived it or experienced it? Um, I can relate 100% to what you're saying. Um, and then at the same time, you, you can't ever say no because right. it's like it, it gets taken personally and we'll, we'll never give again, you know. And yeah. But so, for instance, we got an, an 18-wheeler, a 53 three foot 18 wheeler two days ago I don't have a forklift we're just a small organization and so we spent six hours of physical labor unloading that 18 wheeler my people were about to die <laughs> you know it was so hot and we were but we're we're so grateful for it but right like the grant people, you know, the people that are, they're writing the checks, they, they just want to buy more diapers and more paper towels. And I'm, how about if, how about make us better at what we're doing? Mm. If you would get us a pallet jack, mm -hmm. you know, that would make a huge difference. A forklift for our community in crisis, for all of our organizations, that would make a huge difference because it saves on our labor. Right. Or if you're going to bring supplies, bring it and stay long enough and, and help us hand it out, you know, right. because they, I think they just forget that the people that are doing it are also in crisis. Right. So we're, we're not just serving our everyday people. I can, there was one church that um, had wanted to, was considering, I think it was like week three into week two. Our biggest need was, to get away for a minute. Beaumont was the closest place opened up. And I can tell you like when people could go over there and wash a load of clothes and eat in a restaurant and go to Walmart and just have, you know, an hour with their family was huge. But when I made that request and it's hard to ask for those kind of things, when I said, how about some wall, how about some gift cards? So people could go fill up their cars with gas and fill up their cans I mean, it was so hard because their fear was that I'm going to give that card to an alcoholic and they're going to go buy alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I understand those concerns, but I think if we have those relationships with organizations before the crisis mm -hmm. and you understand who we are um, and understand that in crisis moments, it, everybody is in the same boat that those kind of things that would be so impactful um, to let go of some of that fear, I think. Hmm. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think Paula, that the relationship aspect that you're talking about definitely helps um, because if you already trust who you're giving your resources to, then when those crises hit, you're ready to respond and, and you're ready to give. Um, so I think it's great for like SC3 
to be reaching out and expanding for you to uh, make some connections with people in Texas and in other areas um, so that when something like this does happen, you have a wider network and people that, that trust you before the fact. Um, but you guys are absolutely <laughs> deserving of the trust. And I know y'all are just doing incredible work um, in Sulphur, Louisiana. I'm Texas sorry, has been amazing. Texas <laughs> really? has, oh my, I think it's because maybe y'all just went through it. Mm-hmm. But yep. from day one, groups from Texas were coming in and they yeah. have not stopped. So wow. um, I be think proud of your state right now. <laughs> Yeah. I think what you were saying about the fear thing is is certainly, I mean, yeah, it's certainly true and, and very valid. And I think the other thing that, that I've sort of experienced is that I think people also want to, they want to help. But I think people are, almost have this feeling like it, it feels more like I'm helping if I send stuff. Like it feels like almost like I'm copping out if I send a check or if I send a Walmart gift card. That it sort of feels more personal for people and like here's something tangible that I'm sending you. And and I feel like we, we got that a lot from, from churches, especially at the beginning. And it's like, no, but, but what we need is Walmart cards <laughs> and cash. Like, that would be the most helpful. Um, and, yeah, and, I didn't even think about it from that perspective, so. Uh, yeah, and so once we – and so – once we started getting cash, like you said, we were able, like, because for our need, like, there were so many downed trees. We needed chainsaws to go help people clear clear their yards. And so we were able to go buy chainsaws, which is not something, you know, so, so you know, money instead of bottles of water was, was much more beneficial for the, for the needs that, that we had. Uh, and then we had a church that sent us like a $50,000 check, which was incredible. Um, and we re-roofed houses and bought siding and, you know, we're able to do a lot of the things that you just can't do otherwise. And so, yeah, man, manpower and, and, and funds were helpful. And I think the other thing that I think you kind of brought out is that, yeah, you, you're grateful for it when it comes and and you certainly don't want to say no. And I think that almost to me, that puts the, the burden, the burden should be on the people offering the help to, to not to, to to care enough to ask about what the actual needs are, and, and not assume and and to say we want to do what what's going to be the most beneficial for you and as Rachel kind of spoke to trust that you're going to handle that well and and put that to to good use and so hopefully that's something that we can be mindful of as those who are kind of out on the outside of the crisis to uh, to be willing to to meet the needs in in whatever way would be most helpful mm-hmm. and in most cases that that happens but. It, it does get overwhelming. Yes, yes. We, yeah, I don't in any way want to make it seem like we're trying to, uh, um, uh, trying to criticize those who are offering help in crisis. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, not at all. That's, and I don't want that to, to be what I'm saying or, or that to, be, to come across in, in tone or anything like that. But I think it, it's just a reminder that if you haven't lived through it, it's important to hear the perspective of those who have and, and to consider things that, oh, yeah, well, I, I haven't ever thought of it that way. And so, yeah, going forward, this would maybe be a, a better way to go about offering help. Yeah. So can people help you right now, Paula? You are preparing for another hurricane. Um, do you know yet, or is there a place where you update your needs where people can follow those? Um, right now we don't have, still don't have communicate a lot of um, communication. So um, we don't have an office. Mm-hmm. We don't have computers. We don't have internet. So all those things are, hard 
um, and now we're fixing to get slammed again. So we may not even have power again. Mm -hmm. um, that's why these conversations I think are so important. Um, mm -hmm. um, I think what he's saying, boots on the ground, manpower yeah. is what a community in crisis needs because we're just exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, so and I, who, knows, who knows what the needs are going to be Monday? I have no yeah, idea. <laughs> yeah. I think you seem uh, more refreshed <laughs> and more together than in the first couple weeks. Um, and for that, I'm thankful. But we will definitely be praying for you as we uh, know that Delta is still making its way to landfall. Um, so I will be remembering Louisiana, Southeast Louisiana, and Sulphur. And I think that um, the Vine Church will also be happy to pray for you guys as well. Thank you. And, and pray for all of the leadership in, in, in our area. Um, reach out to area pastors. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. But um, don't forget leadership because um, without them, it, it's extra <laughs> extra hard. So, um, reach out to area church pastors and organization leaders and take this opportunity to build some of those relationships because it will make the world of difference. Pray for them specifically, you know, um, and when I'm not, <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we'll certainly be praying for you, um, and and keep you in mind. These our podcasts usually release on Monday, so so by the time people are listening to this, people may um, will will know more about what what Delta has has done to your area, and and um, maybe we can even share with with some of our people ways that would specifically be be helpful uh, to to serve and and to help help y'all out there in that area. Um, I did. If you've got a couple more minutes, I wanted to, to shift kind of away from necessarily kind of crisis management and stuff for just a couple of minutes and go back to what you, so your organization, kind of your original purpose or, or, or I guess, um, mission is to help people in, in poverty. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Uh, so I'm kind of curious cause this is something, so how many years have you been doing that ministry then now? Did you say? 12 years. 12 years. What, what did you learn about poverty and were there things that you kind of came to understand better about poverty and how people end up in poverty and, and things like that, that that were surprising to you as you entered into this ministry? <laughs> uh, lots, but I think probably number one, like so many of us, my first reaction was always um, just go get a job. I just mm -hmm. did not, I could not get past that. And because work in our family is like very important. Mm -hmm. And so um, the more I'm in it, the, the, I totally get it now. It's not that easy. You know, there is a, the system fights you the whole way. And even when you're trying the obstacles that you have to overcome. So just go get a job. Okay. Well, I didn't get my high school diploma. I don't mm -hmm. have a driver's license. I, um, have all these fees built up from some stupid thing I did in my past that I will never be able to afford to pay off. So why even try? And so they just continue mounting. Um, it's just transportation. Like 
okay, so I get a job in Lake Charles. How am I going to get there? Oh, wait, I don't have my driver's license or my education. So it, it's just like this cycle that just you watch happen over and over and over again. And it is, and I, I even, I'll bring it back to crisis. I'm getting a little taste of it, you know, um, what people have to fight every day, you know, um, the mental issues that we deal with people in poverty. I, every thing, there is not a person who walks in the door that has not had some kind of sexual abuse issue mm. or domestic abuse issue. Um, I mean, you can just follow it. Um, they don't just wake up one day and say, Hey, I think I'm going to be a drug addict or I think I'm going to be a prostitute. You know, it's just, um, it, it's a tough, tough life. Um, so I get it now. And I never say that because these are some hardworking people. They just work maybe in the, you know, at the wrong thing sometimes, but, um, that number one is, is, uh, what I learned from it that cycle is hard to break without support. Mm. But I've watched it do it. I watched them do it. Miracle. If, if you if your faith ever becomes mediocre, you just need to come spend a little time at SC3 and meet some of these people because God is still in the life changing, transforming business because people that I personally would have just like, there's no way God, there is no way. <laughs> There is no way. Um, I, and their, their faces are popping in my head, even, the, even as I'm saying it, mm. that have beat it, you know, and have finished their education, gotten vehicles, gotten jobs, and become productive citizens of society, you know, and now are getting their children back and trying to break that cycle. So um, he does do it, and it is a beautiful thing. Preach, Paula, preach. <laughs> I love that. If your faith is starting to get a little bit mediocre, just come in and see how God is still at work transforming lives. Um, don't, don't get stuck on that back pew where I stayed for way too long. <laughs> mm. That's so good. Well, um, going back to just crisis, and so that's poverty and disaster, all of those things are crises, mental health and abuse. And are there lessons that you have learned from serving those in crisis that um, can apply not just to disaster relief, but all kinds of crisis poverty um, that would be helpful for our church to know about caring for anyone who is suffering or in need? Thanks the two things are keep it relationship driven. Mm, that's good. Don't worry about the masses. Mm, um, so. Find creative ways to keep it relationship driven. And the second is to always empower people to help. Not it, it feels good to come in and do it for somebody mm. that, you know, that's the easy thing, but think about, ways to let the people you're serving be part of the process, part of the healing process and watch it. And it is, it's incredible when you release that in them and they see their purpose and their, you know, it's not just give me, it's, Hey, I can help too, you know, find ways to make that shift 
and um, you'll be blessed by it. Oh, so good. That's Do great. you have any thoughts, Warren, or anything, Paula, that you feel like we have missed that you want to make sure and get into this conversation? I'll, I'll throw, I'll, I'll, because this is the new phase that we're in, I'll just mention this, that the, the children that are <laughs> um, being affected by this and in poverty in general. So our schools have all been damaged. Mm-hmm. And right before the hurricane, two of our local uh, elementary schools opened up and I think they went to school two days before they had to shut it for Delta. So once again, we said yes. And we became a, even in our damaged facilities, we became a little mini school. <laughs> and we had 80 kids there um, at the end of the week. And I, it was so neat because it started raining one day and this was middle school girls and the water was dripping through the ceiling right beside one of them. And she never even picked her head up. She just kept working and work. And I was watching that say, you know, before the hurricane, that would have been such a big deal. We'd had to shut down the school and everybody go home. They didn't care. They miss community. They miss, um, schedules. Um, this has been really hard on parents um, and just to be open to, we didn't know that was coming. And in two days, our teachers rallied and put together this program that was incredible. The kids could not wait to get there in the morning and just get their hugs and go to class. And they were just absorbing, just, they were so hungry for learning. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the lesson is that if we'd have tried to plan it all out and have it perfect, it would have never happened. Mm -hmm. And you just, you just have to have a little faith. (laughs) I mean, he really does do what he says he's going to do. And if you put it in your heart, then step out and, and, and do it. And golly, I mean, he's so good. He is Mm -hmm. so good. And I think we miss it a lot of times because of our fears and our um, hesitations. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the The only other thought that I had was uh, kind of, Rachel, since you had asked about kind of what, what we might can apply to kind of ministering to, to people in, in sort of just over the course of our life who may be experiencing crisis or, or loss or grief or whatever. And the the two things that I kind of thought of that Paula that you had mentioned over the course of our conversation before that were that you you had mentioned kind of how how it was it was important to have space to be vulnerable and to have people with whom you could be vulnerable, and and uh, you had mentioned that you just don't want to be forgotten, and I think those are two those are certainly two aspects that that we can remember just over the course of of our life and how. Um, you know, how many times have you seen someone in grief and they apologize for crying or apologize for breaking down and, and to have space where you don't feel like you have to apologize for that, I I think is important and where people can be vulnerable. Um, and then that idea that that's, I still don't do a very good job of it, but it's the thing that I consistently hear from people about grief is, 
is how much it stays with you and and how much it does sort of feel like even after a funeral you know there's there's that time period where the food is coming and the flowers are coming and the cards are coming and and then it's a it's a month later and that's when the grief really hits and it feels like everyone's gone um and and i think those are the times where we don't really know kind of what to say or how should I should do I want to bring it back up and remind them of it you know or the things that we kind of go through in our head not really realizing that they're they're already already thinking about it all the time anyways we're not reminding them of it um and and so I think that idea that you said about being relationship driven helps that that it, it helps us to to stay with those people um after the fact and hopefully keep checking in with them mm-hmm. and and those times when I was allowed to be vulnerable they didn't say much at all. You don't have to have answers. Mm-hmm. You, the question that was always posed to me is that would like throw me in a tailspin was how are you? That's, mm-hmm. that's all they said. And just let me kind of vomit my feelings for just a bit. And like, you don't, you don't even have to have the answers. Just be willing to spend a few minutes listening um, and just ask people, you know, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I always tell people. Job's friends are a great source of encouragement for him until they start talking. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's all going well where they're just sitting with him. But yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like seven days of silence or something. Yeah, they're just day. hanging out for a week and things are going well. Then like they start they trying nothing. to talk. Yeah. Then when yeah. they start talking, <laughs> all, all downhill. <laughs> all downhill from there. <laughs> Well, Paula, thank you so much for taking your time to share with us. I feel encouraged and I feel like I have learned too. Um, and ministering to people in crisis is something that I want to be better at. Um, Me too. And so I think that, that you have so much wisdom and uh, I feel like I still need to spend more time with you. Um, so thank you for taking your time today. Well, thank you for listening and thank you for being there and and setting a lot of things in motion during this crisis that um that you you don't even know and one day we'll get to share but that those phone calls that you made just um threw a lot of things into motion that that um were incredible so i appreciate you and your ministry and your friendship and um thank you guys for this opportunity and thanks thanks for listening thank you yes thank you paula it's great to meet you and get to spend some time well I would like to read one scripture before we go, and I just feel like this speaks to um, the experience of being the one suffering and going through grief, but also ministering to others who are in grief and in crisis. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll read verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Amen. So I hope that is a comfort to you, um, Paula. And because you have gone through so much suffering, 
you're able to comfort those who are also suffering and you're a comfort to us. So I hope that um, we will continue to hear how you guys are doing and that the, the Spirit may comfort you, that the God of all comfort will be with y'all. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you.